Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. It's a football Friday. We are here. We're ready to go. The Cougars are 3-0. and They ought to go to 4-0. and Dallin Holker with the media as the Cougars prepare for South Florida. Dallin, how good does it feel to actually you know, have the tight ends be involved and not have a bunch of questions lobbed your way about when you guys are actually going to start producing? Uh, you know, it feels good. I mean, it feels good anytime that we can you know, work together and, and um, help the team out a little bit. So it was nice. It was fun. I wanted to ask you about that screenplay they threw to you. Blake Freeland, he gets out there and gets that block. How impressive was that for a left tackle to get out there and spring you? I mean, it was super impressive. Uh, I mean, that play only worked because of Blake and, you know, because of the, the other alignment. So it was sweet to, uh, to see him go out there and just crush that dude and, and help it so the play could actually get open. <laughs> Shep and then Mitch. Um, Coach Satake had mentioned a couple of weeks ago that he wished everybody had come back from their missions uh, the way you have uh, in terms of being ready to play. I'm just curious, what what was your mindset? How how did you handle getting back in shape and and what what has gotten you back as quickly as you have been? Um, I just really tried to focus on listening to my body and not doing too much and but trying to work as hard as I could but I mean I can only thank thank honestly God for helping me to get back into into shape and being able to play because I mean it's something that I mean it's always a worry for missionaries really but I just kind of had to trust in him and trust that as long as I serve my mission that he kind of had my back too when I came back. So have you even surprised yourself how quickly you've been able to get back to this level? Uh, yeah, I'm super thankful, uh, honestly, to be able to, I mean, be where I am right now. I definitely have a lot more to improve on and a lot more work to put in, but I'm super thankful uh, for where I am right now. Thanks, Dallin. Dallin, a quarter of the season's already done uh, through three weeks. What do you feel is the strength of the offense and maybe an area that uh, you guys are hoping to improve in the coming weeks? Uh, I mean, I think a strength is that we're all united. I mean, we're a brotherhood and we're a family and we all have each other's back. And, you know, we have a lot of drives where we're really explosive and some where we're, you know, trying to just get things together. So I think just really putting it all together here in the next few weeks and just being explosive all the time and, and having those explosive plays and being the offense that we know we can be. You were on your mission two years ago when uh, BYU lost to USF, have the upperclassmen, you know, maybe – shared their their feelings towards what transpired in that game and the focus that needs to take place for this matchup? Um, no, they haven't really talked about it, but we know that, you know, they're a really good team and that they have a lot of athletes and, you know, it's, you can't go in any, into any game really thinking that you're going to win. So you have to have the same preparation every week and just uh, keep working your hardest every week and, and play your best on Saturday. Okay, Pat and then Jay. Hey, Dale, thanks for taking the time. I was just, uh, not to bring up a negative, but turn into a positive, but uh, does any play maybe epitomize BYU football more than uh, Tyler and Jaron, you know, taking advantage of that, uh, you know, Tyler with the strip and Jaron jumping on the football? I mean, they turned in what could have been a negative into a positive. Yeah, I mean, I, def- I definitely uh, think it describes the way we are. And that play describes definitely like Tyler and, and Jaron and the people they are, the, the hard workers and they're humble and they want to win and, this team we're a brotherhood and we want to win together so I mean when you see our teammates chase down 
uh, that linebacker like Tyler did. It just shows the love that we have for each other and how badly uh, we want to win. Yeah, hey, Dallin, uh, when you were recruited, did you look at kind of this idea that BYU had a really solid brotherhood, a culture, um, kind of a family attitude? Was that part of your decision to come to BYU? Or was it other things like facilities and coaching and different things like that? Oh, yeah, 100%. It was like the culture and the way that I felt here. I mean, when I come to practices and when I was on my recruiting visits and all that, I could definitely just feel like the difference in the family culture and the the learn the love and um, that they had around here. And it was just something that, I mean, when you feel it, you just want to be a part of it and, and do your best that you can. So it was definitely one of the biggest things um, in my recruiting. And I just wanted to ask you about the red zone success. Was that a point of emphasis in fall camp to to be better in the red zone? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's always, uh, I mean, we always want to try to be the best that we can be in the red zone. So it's definitely something that we, you know, we've worked on and that we try to improve and try to be the best that we can uh, when we're in the red zone. There is Dallin Holker with the media. Now here is the defensive coordinator, Elisa Tuiaki. Coach, uh, you sounds like you were there in the room. So you probably heard me talking to your boys about uh, turnovers and takeaways wanted to ask about finding the right balance. Uh, you know, you want your guys to be ball hawks and go try and rip it out. But at the same time, you don't want to sacrifice big plays or giving up extra yardage. How do you make sure your guys are, are doing the right thing as far as when to go for those takeaways? Um, yeah, sorry. I wasn't, I, I wasn't listening to the interview. I was back there eating chips and stuff, <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, I think, I think uh, th- there's, there's really not just a cut and dry answer for it. I mean, it's, it's uh, everything's really situationally, you know, there's, there's so much um, when you're talking about the game of football, that just tactical football comes into play. And so, um, you know, every, I think every play on defense is meant to uh, uh, there, there's elements of trying to get a takeaway and, and get the ball back and, and every, every play on offense there's elements of, um, you know, trying to score. And so even, even when you're throwing three-step on offense, uh, and even when you're dropping eight on defense, there's, there's just the, 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 you know, the scheme of, of everything is really kind of plays, has its strengths and has its weaknesses, but there's always uh, times to try, to try to, you know, amp things up. And so I think, you know, as, as we're, we should try to control things on the coaching side of, of uh, aggression and, and uh, where we think we can probably pick and choose our times to be a little bit more aggressive and where we think it's just not worth it. Um, there's, there's just, you know, some tactical things that go into play when you're talking about that. But I think, you know, there's, there's always elements of trying to get the ball back with um, even with more, more uh, conservative plays that you have. I asked the guys about the turnover props. BYU's joined the group with the turnover belt. What what does that do? Um, what are your thoughts as far as as far as the you know kind of highlighting a takeaway like that? Yeah, then the belt's a cool idea. Um, you know, it's uh, I don't think it's the end all for for takeaways. I think it's just a great way for us to have to have fun and and uh, you know, well, Kalani is about uh, the boys bringing juice on the sideline and having fun. I think it's just another thing that adds to the culture of us trying to stay loose on the sidelines and, and have fun. You see it all over the country. You've seen it for several years now where people have certain things that they do. 
um, that that's just one of the things that I think adds to the the fun that that boys have on the sideline. Coach uh, Keenan brought a lot to you guys both on the field and off. Uh, what maybe maybe makes uh, Ben Bywater the the right guy to fill those shoes at this moment? Yeah, Ben's Ben's done a, a phenomenal job just prepping himself and coming. Mean, he's come a long way with the, the shoulder injury that he had last year and just his body, the way that it looks uh, last year versus it, it does now. I mean, coming off his mission and prepping himself and working hard towards it, and it's the same type of growth that Keenan had when he was. You know, Keenan, Keenan had a shoulder injury as well that he kind of fought through. And, you know, you have a young guy that, that puts in the time during the offseason. And uh, when their number's called, then, you know, gives him an opportunity to, to show up. And Ben's done. Ben really had, has had a very, very similar path to Keenan in just uh, becoming the guy. And, and uh, you know, now we're going to need him to step up. And I know he's ready for the challenge. And, and Keenan's going to be alongside him the, the whole way to help out and, and uh, coach him up and do all those things. But uh, I mean, Peyton, I'm not Peyton, but uh, Ben certainly uh, deserves and earned the right to, to step in and try to fill in for Keenan. A quarter of the season's already in the books. Uh, these, these weeks, once one goes down and they, they keep flying through. And I'm curious with, with a quarter of the season in the rearview mirror, what maybe is a, a strength of your defense that you feel pretty good about and, and maybe an area that you want to still uh, continue to see some improvement in, in the coming games and, and months. Yeah, uh, I really love the way that, uh, you know, the energy and passion that they're playing with. I mean, the support that they're playing with as far as just the, you know, buying into the culture that Kalani's had. And um, I think that's something that we can, we can ride the wave of, of the energy and the, and uh, you know, the juice that that brings in. And, um, you know, we're banged up right now. We've got, got a lot of guys that are, that are nicked up. We've, you know, obviously lost Keenan for the rest of the year, but um, we've got a lot of guys that can step up and, and bring that same passion and energy to, to keep things moving. I mean, it's, it's, been, a, it's been a crazy year to, to have all these home games, you know, and not have to leave the state of Utah when we, when we travel next week. And, um, you know, I think with, with that, being able to play at home and, Having the having the you know Cougar Nation there in the stadium, just all that energy. And there's a the, the players feed off of it, and the ones that we're we're asking to show up and fill in for the shoes of those that are getting banged up and sacrificing their bodies in, in the previous three games. Uh, you know, I think those guys will do a good job because of that. All right, let's go, Jay, and then Sean. Elisa, Ben just told us that he was recruited off a of rugby film because he was. Uh, injured most of his senior year of high school. Um, what do you recall about that? And, and uh, what did you see that made you guys want to offer him from that film? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, we're, we're familiar. I'm familiar with the game of rugby. Uh, you know, there's, there's a skill set that you look for with uh, certain players. I mean, he was, a, he was a phenomenal running back when he had film um, playing, playing football, but his ability to play rugby as well. I mean, he, he was a, he was a tall athlete that could run and that's, Really, when we're recruiting, that's one of the things that we're looking at is recruiting tall and recruiting fast. And, and he filled um, both of those requirements for us. And then you try to recruit him smart, which he was a really intelligent uh, uh, person in the classroom and took care of his grades. Um, you know, had had uh, the aspirations and plans to go and serve a mission, which, which checked another box for us. And so everything really, um, if you hear some of us talking about recruiting, sometimes we we don't really care what the film looks like. It's, it's uh, they've got to be 
they've got to be tall enough. They got to be fast enough. They got to be, be smart enough And the classroom is a really an indicator for us to recruit a kid like that. And, and Ben, along with a lot, a lot of other players that we're looking, looking for, they all fit that. And so uh, they're the kind of kids that we feel like we can develop. Coach, I'll jump in. And, and I, I want to ask you about kind of the, uh, the first touch, if you will, of defense in, in, most games and maybe that's just the former long snapper in me because I love my specialists um, but it feels like you guys have a punter right now who's a really big weapon uh, defensively I mean what's what's it do for you guys on defense to have a guy who can just bomb a ball 75 80 83 yards down the field the way that that uh, Ryan Rico can yeah he's he's unbelievable <laughs> and it's uh I mean it's huge for us to have right you've um, I mean, here in the last three years, we've we've lived the nightmare of the, of a guy that's only punting 15 yards. You know what I mean? And so, uh, for somebody to do that to flip the field, I mean, uh, when you're just looking at it statistically, the the percentages of uh, of the amount of points an offense is going to get depending on where they start on the field, I mean, it just it just flips it, it changes and in your favor. Um, and uh, I mean, Rico's been huge for us and. And that's uh, it's been unbelievably huge for us on defense to have that kind of field advantage. Here's BYU defensive coordinator Elisa Tuiaki through three games. Man, that defense has been good. That defense has been very good. I know they're losing Peely. I know that defense has been really good. All right, we're gonna take a break. When we come back, Alex Brink. Going to talk a little Washington State football with us as the Cougars get ready to face the Utes in a battle of one and two teams. Alex is coming up next. It's game week for the Aggies, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The Aggies square off against Boise State for a big Mountain West Conference battle at Maverick Stadium. Hear all the play-by-play action on the Zone Sports Network, beginning with a pregame show Saturday morning at 9. From Monday morning to all the play-by-play action, nobody brings you better coverage of Aggie football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. All right, it's time to bring in Alex Brink, Washington State football radio analyst. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line, the best state award winner, Smart Rain. It's having an end-of-season sale on their irrigation smart controller. Save 50% off each smart controller purchase. The offer available to all commercial property zone listeners. Visit smartrain.net to schedule a demo today. Alex, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you doing? Good. Depending on which of the local college football teams we talk about, there are varying levels of confidence. And I suspect when we talk about Washington State football, you would say the same thing. Varying levels of confidence. Times they look good, times when they don't look good at all. Yeah, I think that's a uh, fair assessment. Um, You know, in all honesty, the... I think week one, obviously against Utah State, which I'm sure you guys followed, was you know was a pretty big wake up call in the end. In the end for for Washington State, you, know, you get kind of a a game in week two against Portland State that you're able to get your feet back underneath you. And, and the first half against USC was about as good as it, it could have been. I mean, probably the best half of football that we've seen from uh, Nick Rolovich's team um, over the last couple of years. And then it all just fell apart. Really, kind of heading into I guess the last possession for USC heading into half, and then and then the whole second half, Washington State really really struggled. Gave up 45 points unanswered. Couldn't score. Couldn't stop them. 
and now you're kind of left with the same feeling, if not worse, than, than that week one loss to Utah State. So what's going to happen at quarterback? Hard to say. I mean, I think Jaden Delora, uh, who was the backup going into the season behind Jared Garantano, who was the uh, University of Tennessee grad transfer, um, and took over for Garantano when he got hurt in week one, uh, he got nicked up against USC, came out of half with a knee brace on. We're not really sure, honestly, what – uh, what the injury was, uh, Coach Rolovich has said this week that he's he's doubtful that Delora will be able to go, um, and has said that two guys, Garantano coming back off injury, and then uh, obviously former Utah high school superstar Cameron Cooper will be taking reps uh, the bulk of this week. So it's going to be interesting because Cooper was kind of thought to be the third guy throughout, you know, as camp ended, but then he was not the guy to come off the bench when Delora got hurt. That was a uh, walk on Victor Gabalas and, and Gabalas struggled. Um, and Cameron did pretty well when he got his chance versus USC. So it kind of sounds like, uh, uh, between Garantano and Cooper, those two guys are getting ready to go. But again, you never know. We'll have to see. So that would suggest that Washington State needs to lean on the run game, and Max Borgie did not do much against Utah State, and then he broke a really big run that was important in the flow of that game. Uh, can they they count on him? He, he kind of got taken out of the SC game just by the, the score. He ended up with 13 carries, which, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but shouldn't he be like a 20, maybe 25 carry guy? Maybe 25 is too much, but 20 anyway? Oh, I think you're 100% right. And I honestly think that's been a huge issue for Washington State through these three games is Max Borgie not touching the ball enough. Um, even against USC, I think he got 10 touches in the first half and only three in the second. And, and that score, I mean, there was a time where you know, you're within a touchdown or even two and you can lean on a guy like Max Borgie because you alluded to against Utah State, he's kind of a big hitter, right? I mean, he'll rip off a 60-70 yard run if you give him enough touches at some point. I think for Washington State to be successful, they have to lean on Max Borgie and Deion McIntosh. So far through this year, they haven't committed to it. you know. And I think the run and shoot under Nick Rolovich and OC Brian Smith, they want to have balance, but it obviously leans towards being more pass-heavy. Uh, in this scenario, I just don't think you have the horses uh, to be able to throw the football consistently, both quarterback-wise and then you know receiver-wise, they're pretty thin on the outside also. So when you got a guy like Max Borgie, you know he's got to touch the ball, and Dion McIntosh is a close second as far as uh, skill level. So those two guys, I think, if the backs for Washington State have thirty plus touches, carries, or catches, uh, I think Washington State can win this football game. Yeah, and you look at it too. The Utes have suffered a major injury up front defensively, and uh, they had the Bell with San Diego State. They're a run offense, and he had some success. BYU Algier was just, I think, under a hundred. So they've been. They didn't have a big uh, per carry, but anyway, they've been able to move the ball against them on the ground, which is somewhat of a surprise. So uh, I would think that they would come out and run it, uh, uh, Washington State. But I don't know about Rolovich, though. Is it, would he make the commitment that he needs to make to be able to do that? Well, so far, again, through three games this year, you haven't really seen it. Last year, you know, they came out in week one against Oregon State, and Dion McIntosh rushed for almost 150 yards. He right. rushed for almost 100 yards against Oregon. They were, you know, they were pretty committed to it against Utah again in 2020 until Utah uh, really blew the doors off in the second half. But so I think it is in his DNA to do it. I just I'm not honestly sure why it hasn't happened this year. And to be fair, you know, Rolo's not necessarily calling the plays. Brian Smith is, but the the 
I think for them to be successful, as you alluded to, you know, this Utah defense is having its struggles right now um, and is not nearly the unit we have seen it be in, pa- in the past years. And so for Washington State, they have to control the football. And, and you know, whether the Utah offense has caught its stride under Cam Rising or not, you know, uh, we'll see. But I think Washington State has to have more of a ball control mentality than trying to throw it all over the yard. So USC obviously presents problems, but uh, Utah doesn't have London at wide receiver. So, you know, there's that. But they do have Kincaid and Keithy at tight end, and those guys can make plays. Can the Washington State defense match up with those guys and handle tight ends? It's a good question. You know, Washington State's defense, in all honesty, throughout this year, you know, I feel like they've played pretty well. Against Utah State, they played really well and just got kind of worn down at the end by tempo, right? And that's something we've seen, I think we'll see from Utah State throughout this season, them due to teams. But, um, you know, they and against USC, again, they played pretty well other than once they started chucking the ball up to Drake London, who's a tough matchup for anybody. Um, and so, you know, I think what's Utah is going to look at is where USC had some success is both with Drake London and a couple of their wide receivers. They ran them kind of down the middle of the field and created matchups on their on Washington State's linebackers, um, and that would be where Team Tate and Keithy fit in, obviously, uh, when you're watching tape. And so, I think Washington State, Washington State will address that issue because it's so, it was so glaring against USC. But it does lend you to believe that you know those tight ends can be tough matchups for Washington State's linebackers who are veterans and talented players, but physically they're not in the same category as, as those two tight ends, in my opinion. So I think that's a place for you know Utah to be able to exploit Washington State. But I will say that the safety position and kind of the nickel position for Washington State is a strength. Armani Marsh at the nickel spot is a really smart, savvy player, veteran. Um, uh, Daniel Isom at the safety position is, is same same spot. So if they get those guys involved, I think that'll help. But then, of course, once you do that, it opens up opportunities on for guys on the outside potentially, and you know that will be where Utah will have to prove if they have the guys you know to take advantage. I'm interested to see what Utah can do in the run game against the Cougars because you look at SC with Graham Harrell; they're a throw-first offense. They bring in Dart off the bench, and he's throwing the ball like crazy, and he's got an old-world receiver. We already talked about him with London, so it made sense to do that. But that's not who the Utes are, and they're more you know want to run the ball and then use that to set up with the pass and all that stuff. So you didn't get a really good feel defensively uh, on what Washington State would do against a run team. How do you think they would fare against the Utes who usually want to run the ball? I think Washington State in the front seven will be pretty stout. You know, because USC, although Graham's been a, you know, it, it is a version of the air raid. The, the, you know, USC being kind of running back U has forced him to try and run the football. And so he tried. He tried to run the football with, you know, Malapai and, and some of those guys. I mean, they, they have good backs. And Washington State really shut it down. Um, and so even against Utah State, you know, they got a few chunk plays. But for, for the most part, I think the front seven for Washington State is strong against the run. And like you're saying, if, you know, if Utah's going to commit to that and Washington State they can stop it. Well, now it, it limits that playbook a little bit for Andy Ludwig. So I, I'm we're going to be really intrigued. The one thing that I know Coach Ludwig does really well is he's going to scheme some things up that's going to put pressure on Washington State, moving sideline to sideline, and then trying to hit, then trying to hit things downhill. Um, so we'll see because against Utah State, wh- who gets people spread out and goes sideline to sideline, Washington State got worn out. So I'll be interested to see if Coach Ludwig, in his own 
system tries to do something similar. It doesn't get that much run because, well, quarterback, offensive line, running back, defensive line, you know, the Utes have had issues in different spots. But the Utes special teams, which used to be very good, have not been good. And Kyle has addressed it. Two kickoff returns for touchdowns, a deflected punt. Uh, they've missed extra points and field goals, and we're only three games in. That's a pretty long list. How is Wazoo in the special teams, and can they take advantage of the Utes there? You know, they, they're good. Uh, Terrell Harris, uh, the kick returner, is one of the best in the country. I mean, he's been uh, around for years. He's, he's got a great kickoff return average, has, has returned one in his career for a touchdown and gotten close a couple other times. So he'll put pressure for sure on that kick, kickoff unit uh, for Utah. Washington State replaced uh, a punt, their punter and kicker from last year. Were both great players. Um, so far, punting-wise, it's been consistent, nothing spectacular solid um and in the kicking game again pretty consistent missed a couple uh missed a field goal early in the year against utah state but otherwise been pretty solid and so i think washington state's solid no glaring issues you know one of the things you'll find with stuff teams is you never really know you have a problem until <laughs> until it happens right i think that's where coach whittingham is kind of probably looking you know shaking his head a little bit because of how solid they have been and then you know guys whether it's schematically or effort wise or just or just flat out players not making plays uh all of a sudden things start popping up and you gotta you gotta address them how fun is it going to be to play a day game not in the rain yeah it's gonna be a little bit of a i mean it's gonna be probably a change for these these kids a little bit right it's pretty early um you know the weather was not good in in pullman last week um and then the late kick versus utah state so i think in the end it's gonna be a nice change i know for me personally it's a makes for a little bit easier travel than those late kicks I know from the youth's perspective, if they lose this and they're one and three, I mean, all the complaining and uh, and pain and gnashing of teeth we've heard, it's, it's going to double down and triple down. Is it going to feel the same way if Washington State loses this? Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, there's I mean, there's obviously a lot of other outside noise, right? That the program's experiencing around Nick Rolovich, so you start adding on-field pressure <laughs> onto that. Uh, that snowballs real quick, and so um, I think right now you look at it and you say, hey, you lost a tough one to, to Utah State kind of late is what it is. Utah State's clearly a much better team than they were in 2020. Uh, you beat up on Portland State, who you're supposed to beat up on. You lose to USC, who probably going into the year, most people expected you to lose to USC, um, even though you had a good half of football against them. You know, So beating Utah on the road writes, writes some of those wrongs, kind of gets you back in, in the right spot. Um, but losing to Utah now, all of a sudden, those things really start. It start you start wondering kind of how far it slides if you lose to Utah at this point in the season. Well, Alex, we appreciate a few minutes. You enjoy the eighty degree temperatures and the sunshine because sure. who knows when yeah, you'll get you those wait. two things again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. There's Alex Brink talking a little. Cougar football as Washington State gets ready to face Utah. When we come back, Lincoln Kennedy, Raider analyst, Pac-12 network analyst, will call the Utah game tomorrow. Lincoln's next. Stay with us. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. BYU welcomes South Florida to Lavelle Edwards Stadium this Saturday. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game. And then catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 6. With the postgame show starting immediately following the game on the Zone Sports Network. (laughs) 
From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're joined now by Lincoln Kennedy, Raider radio analyst, Pac-12 network analyst. He is on the Smart Rain guest line. Best of State Award winner, Smart Rain, having an end-of-season sale on the Irrigation Smart Controller. Save 50% off each Smart Controller purchase. Offer available to all commercial property zone listeners. Visit SmartRain.net to schedule a demo today. Lincoln, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. What do you guys got going on up there? You got quarterbacks walking off the field and <laughs> quitting. What are you guys doing up there? Well, we've got. I want to get to that with you because uh, I've been uh, I've been stalking you. I've been cyber stalking you, Lincoln. Oh my goodness! Yes, you said you help me understand what's going on. I there don't live are... in Salt Lake. I don't live in the, in Utah, and you guys got some stuff going on we... other than, other than it being a dry season, a drought, stuff like <laughs> yeah, that. What, there you go. what are you guys doing to the quarterbacks up there? All right, so. You call Raider games, which air on our station. I happen to be in the car, and I want to congratulate you for being a fine analyst and being quiet during the big moments and not wrecking the highlight. Oh, he's a pro. He's a pro. I got in my car like 40 seconds before the ball went over the top, the rugs, and Brent screaming jackpot. And on most broadcasts, there'd be some ex-jock in the background. Oh! Oh! Ah! You know, but no, not you. I was like, that's my guy Lincoln. Disciplined. I like it. It really does make for a better broadcast. He well, talks when he talks, you talk when you talk. I can actually make sense of what's going on as opposed to two guys screaming over each other. I'm like, well, something exciting happened. Hopefully they'll explain it later when they calm down. Right. Well, we got to act like you've been there before, right? <laughs> right. So the, the fact is, is that there was there was one instance with, when the, the touchdown, there, there, was a, there was a touchdown pass to Brian Edwards, and I was looking at I was looking at Brent when I was saying, are you going to say jackpot? And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, they just scored a touchdown. You're not going to say jackpot? And so we were quiet at that point, and of course it was called back by a penalty, but uh, but but I was like, I'm, I'm waiting for you to do your thing. I'm just going to lay out and let you do your thing. But other times, it's it, it's it's there where you know, like you said, you got to act like you've been there before. Yep. <laughs> so I was also watching you because I flipped on the Colorado Minnesota game, packed full oh, of curiosity and all that. And you <laughs> went after Colorado's O line. I was under the distinct impression you were not impressed. And I wonder uh, if watching film for the Utes, if you were not impressed with their offensive line play. Well, also. you know what, I expected more out of the Utes offensive line. No, I was not impressed by Colorado's offensive line because I expected better of them. Um, they could not maintain the integrity of the line of scrimmage. They gave up so much. Um, but with the Utes offensive line in the last couple of games, I, I you know, I had a, I had a chance of covering them against Weber State. I thought highly of them going into the season. It's like, oh my goodness, I think they're going to be good. You know, they've always been notoriously, you know, historically, uh, Utes have always had big guys up front and good offenses, a pretty solid offensive line. This, you know, the last two games, I've seen them take a step backwards. And I'm not really sure why. Um, you know, when it comes down to it, it's like I still think Utah is good enough to win the South. Um, I think they are challenging for that, and I think once you get in the league play, obviously this week starting with Wazoo, um, that, that they'll, they'll be able to showcase that. But, you know, going up against BYU, going up against San Diego State, I was just curious to why they, they, they seem to take a couple steps backwards. They weren't as solid as they were before. And I know they've been playing around with it with a few guys here and there and stuff like that. So we're waiting to see if they've got the chemistry right. But, look, guys, when it comes to offensive line play, 
you want to have five guys who've been been together, played together, suffered together, you know, wins, losses, and everything else, um, play with that sort of cohesiveness and continuity. You can't just – it's not interchangeable parts. You know, Minnesota has a pretty special thing when they were playing Colorado because they've got they, – they feel they've got eight offensive linemen that can start at any time. So they've got a rotation. But they use it more – they use their rotation more of a, as a jumble package – where they, they'll send in extra offensive linemen who do service tight ends or eligible receivers just to solidify the run game. Um, Utah doesn't have that necessarily as uh, uh, a, a circumstance. Um, but, you know, to me it's one of those things where you're scratching your head like, why aren't these guys better than they were? So maybe they turn it around this week against Wazoo. Yeah, obviously Rising came in and gave him a lift off the bench. You know, I've been around this program. I've been around him to an extent a little bit, and I've always felt like the kids got swag. The players voted him captain. I thought they should have started him. Uh, you want, at least with him, he was a transfer too from Texas, yeah. but he came over as a freshman. Right. These guys who come in just for the basically the one and done, they're not really part of the program. They're just here to to showcase their skills and maybe get a look at, at the NFL. And, and we see after three games, he gets benched and boom, he's gone. So he can transfer and try again someplace else. They had it last year with Bentley. I guess it's just the way of the world, and I can complain about it, though, but it, it's probably not going to change, is it? I'm, I've never been a fan of the transfer portal. Um, even when, uh, way back when, um, the last time I did a lot of college football, they had the, the graduate transfers. It, to me, it's amateur free agency. It's nothing more than modern amateur free agency um, because they, they still consider these guys amateurs, whatever. Anyways, um, long story short, uh, I think that there are a lot of guys out there who cannot deal with adversity. When they go to a place, you know, they're promised, you look, when you're being recruited, because I've been through the process, they they make it seem like the game can't go on at our university without you. There's no way that we can compete if we don't have you. They make you seem like you are the greatest thing since sliced bread. And when you go to a place and then you find that, you know what, hey, there are other guys in front of you. There are probably some guys that are behind you or coming in with you that are going to try to compete for the same starting position. You have one or two options. Well, now it's more so one option because guys are transferring. Oh, my goodness. I'm not the starting quarterback. I'm leaving. It's, you know, it, it, it's, it is the way of the world right now because, you know, no one can really seem to deal with adversity or, or, or try to, you know what, okay, this guy thinks he's as good as me. Let me beat him out. Now, when you're talking about the quarterback situation for the youths, it wasn't the fact that, you know, it, it, you know, they made a decision after fall camp. They said it was a close battle. But now that Brewer's been demoted, he comes out, he's being replaced. You know, he's like, oh, you know what, I can't do this. I'm leaving. Just, that's, that's weak to me. Yeah. That really is. It, it really is weak to me. I, I wish that there were more people that would stand in and fight the fight rather than just, you know what, I'm going to go somewhere else. Um, but but it is the way of the world, as you as you mentioned, and unfortunately, I just don't think that you know many kids. It's not just here; it's it's everywhere. It's, right. it, it's with every sport because you see with basketball, college basketball, you see with college football, guys are just jumping ship trying to go somewhere because they think they have a, a leg up to start somewhere else. 
Well, as you prep for these Ute games, and you've already had two here in the first four, you'll probably have more later this year. Yeah, uh, thank you. Talk to Makai. <laughs> yeah, right. Talk to Makai Bernard because there's a running back who could have left. There are times it looked like, yeah. wow, he's how's he ever going to get on the field? Um, yeah. And, and you know, I mean, crazy things happen. Obviously, the ultimate tragedy with Ty Jordan, uh, but you know, Bernard's out there, and he could have easily hit the transfer portal. So. You can talk with him and get a get a different perspective, I think. So as you watch this Utah-Washington State game, we're watching it early in the game. What's the number one thing you were watching to see who's going to win it? A battle of one and two teams and just trying to get back to 500 and get a little momentum. Well, I mean, for Utah, there, there are high expectations because I think they're good enough to challenge for the South. For Wazoo, it's trying to right the ship. Because right now you've got so much controversy surrounding your head coach, and the fact that you know you jump out to a double-digit lead on on USC, and then you end up losing, getting smashed, um, uh, you know, by a backup quarterback. It's anyone's guess what's going on with Wazoo. So you know, when I look at this game, I'm looking to see who responds after an, a loss, after you take an L. Um, because you know, I don't think I don't think Wazoo has really the staying power, to definitely to compete in the, in the pack or or to compete in the in the in the, in the north, um, because they just haven't figured it out. I mean, I, I thought I thought better of this team when I watched them play Portland State, just like I thought better of the Utes when I watched them play um, uh, against uh, you know against Weber State. I know it's Weber State and I know it's Portland State, but it is what it is. It's it, their games. So now that you get into conference play, I think Utah is in a better position than, uh, say, Wazoo, because, you know, Wazoo lost a, not only a conference game, but Wazoo lost a game in certain circumstances where they didn't show up in the second half. And, and it's hard to rebound from that, um, especially when you have to go on the road and take on a Utah. The North sucked a couple weeks back, and then last week the South sucked. And you talk about Utah being in it. You can look at it a couple of ways. Well, they're in it to, to possibly win the thing in the South because of the fact that they're pretty good. Or, gosh, everybody sucks, and so why wouldn't they be in it? You know what I mean? There's, yeah. I don't know which way to go. We'll find out in the next couple of weeks. But right now, as I look at the South... I suppose, outside of Arizona and Colorado, and I think whoever wins that game, that might be their only win in conference. Right. I think that any of those other four teams could finish first. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm really not sure what to expect from teams like UCLA or Arizona State. Um, I think USC, for the most part, is still in a quandary because – the coaching decision leaves a sort of a flux where you've got guys in that locker room who are looking to other places rather than looking or focusing on the objective at hand, and that's winning. And so I, I still have to see a little bit more sample size to know what, what we can expect from USC. Look, USC always has talent. It's never been a question of whether they have talent. It's whether or not that they can they can put it together and, and make a great team out of it. Um, so I, I think the South is still up in the air. And that's why I, I still think the solid foundation that is that Utah has, that Coach Whittingham has, is is probably the best um, uh, the best product to, to maybe excel and, and separate themselves so turn to the pro game the Raiders are 2-0 and and they're getting a backup quarterback does that matter that much do you think they were 
Solid favorites. You felt pretty comfortable, or you don't feel comfortable no matter well, who the Dolphins quarterback I mean, yeah, is. Yes, you right. Don't, you don't underestimate a backup a, a team, even with a backup quarterback, because look, what Miami is more known for, rather than their offense, as Jacoby Brissett, at quarterback, is the fact that they've got a defense and they've got a quarterback or a, a coach who's a, a coordinator who's who's been creative with his defensive style. And look, last year when these two teams played, I think the Raiders. Uh, I want to say they did. Six field goals. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. It was quite a few field goals because they struggled once they got in the red zone. Um, Miami's defense uh, hunkered down. So, you know, for what it's worth, when it comes to the Raiders, I know that they're two and zero. I know that Derek Carr has had a, a pretty good season so far, but they really don't have a running game. Their offensive line is patched up, you know, kind of put together um, due to injuries and stuff like that. So they're really one-dimensional. And once you get in the red zone, because that area is condensed and, and cut short, it's harder to score in that area. So, you know, this is not a team. I, I think the Raiders are a team that have to score touchdowns in order to be successful. Their defense is playing better. Don't get me wrong. Their defense is playing a lot better than it has in shoes many years uh, I can remember but um, this is still a team that you can't underestimate uh, and, and, and don't be don't be surprised if Miami comes in and tries to establish the, the run to keep the Raiders on their heels more importantly put the pressure on their offense to have to pass down the field to keep up yeah, I said last week you know I thought Carr was really rounding into the top of his game and watching him last week I mean I think even more so I mean, I might get, I'm still going to go with Mahomes but yeah. in the AFC uh, to, to me, so far, and it's just a small sample, but I mean, Carr's looking as good as anybody, although I do acknowledge what you're saying. The absence of a running game does have a concern for me. Yeah, because teams are going to start figuring out things. So, you know, the way that I kind of put it into perspective is that the Raiders are using the short passing game and sideline to sideline passing game, much like Oregon did back in the day where they were going sideline to sideline at the high tempo. They're using that as their run game. It's an extended run game where you use tunnel screens, you use you know flare routes, you use you know short out routes and stuff like that. You're using it that 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 is the equivalent of getting your running game started because they don't have one. <laughs> so Darren Waller famously targeted 19 times in the opener, a more yeah. reasonable seven in the second game. But is he the safety blanket? Are they going to go back to him when it really matters? And the seven was just kind of a one off. Yeah, well, here's the thing. If you recognize, if you know anything about Derek Carr, whenever he sees that he's got isolated coverage or one-on-one coverage with Darren Waller, especially when he's split out wide to either side, he's going to go to him, and especially when they have a single high safety. What Derek learned from week one to week two, for example, the Baltimore Ravens bracketed Darren Waller. And they, they, they made sure, they didn't really show it. It wasn't obvious until you look at the film. So I think that's one of the reasons why he didn't go back to him as much in the Pittsburgh game. Because he knew Pittsburgh was going to do the same thing. Mika Fitzpatrick had his eye on number 83 wherever he was on the field. And that's how he got burned by the Ruggs touchdown. Um, because he was thinking that they were going to go to Waller on that third down. Um, but I will say this, it, it's good for the Raiders, it's good for Derek Carr to be able to notice that there were other receivers on the field. 
and they used their 13 personnel, their three tight end personnel really well. He threw it to the other tight ends on some seam routes and some open uh, uh, go routes and stuff like that, as well as spread the ball around with Edwards and Ruggs and so on and so forth. So that's a good sign because the Raiders do have multiple weapons. I think Derek was focused on or zeroed in on Darren Waller in week one almost to a fault. And it was fortunate enough they were able to win because there were a couple of throws that if they would have went just, just a little bit the other way would have been turnovers, and that might have been disastrous. So um, it's good that they're spreading the ball around. And m- most definitely I think it's good for Gruden to take notice of it because going forward, until they figure out this run game scenario or how they can get this run game going, um, he's got to spread the ball around and utilize all his other receivers. Wonder what you think of the Steelers. Obviously, they have been so good for so long. Big Ben's getting older, and are they still a legitimate contender, or they got to get through him playing it out and reload? I was over Big Ben three, four years ago, to be honest with you guys. But one thing I will tip my hat to. Mike Tomlin, the head coach of the Steelers, has been a pillar of consistency. They found ways to win and make themselves credible. This offense for the Steelers, they don't have a running game. Okay, the offensive line, and, and my son plays for the damn team, uh, it, the offensive line is in, in, in serious trouble. Um, they don't have any consistency up front. They have a hard time protecting big men, uh, and they have a hard time of being able to do anything other offensively than their short passing game. And what the Raiders noticed, especially in the first half of that Steelers game, is that Ben wanted to go with stop routes, hitch routes, you know, really quick routes, and when they took that away, he really had no he, – he, it, was, it was all of a sudden became 50 50 balls. Long story short to your question, I think the Steelers offense is in trouble. And the fact that T.J. Watt left the game with a, with a groin injury, who knows how long he's going to be out with, for. Uh, Melvin Ingram, who's replaced him, is not the same player, impact player, that T.J. Watt is. So the defense loses a little bit of their teeth. And they've got other injuries with Devin Bush, Joe Hayden, who's been playing the Raiders game. I think they are, they're still going to be competitive once they get those guys back. But in the interim, it's going to be hard for the Steelers to generate points. More importantly, it's going to be hard for the Steelers to get off the field defensively. You know, there's a uh, healthy debate raging between Bronco and Raider fans about whether Salt Lake is really a Bronco town or a Raider town. But oddly, the team that's on, not oddly, the team that's on every week is the Bucks. Both the Raiders and Broncos have not been on TV already. Is that right? The Bucks are on all the time because of Tom Brady. You're saying the, the Bucks stop here? Exactly. <laughs> oh, de- oh, 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 gosh. <laughs> <laughs> it gets worse than that, Lincoln. We try oh. to behave when you're on. There's oh. been a lot of crimes, <laughs> crimes committed against radio in your absence, trust me. Uh, Tampa Bay. Uh, that defense, is that uh, a championship-level defense? They've given up a lot of points through two games. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Uh, you know, it, I've always thought in my history of playing this game, I always thought it was a crime that the quarterback and the head coach get way too much praise when things go right and way too much blame when things go wrong. It's a team game. You know, you can't, you can't convince me that Tampa could go into Green Bay the quarterback can throw three interceptions and still walk out of there with a win if they didn't have a good defense. Defense is one. The defense won last year's Super Bowl for him. I know what Brady did with the touchdowns he threw. Okay, I get it. And I know where he's at. I'm not trying to take away from his shine. But the thing is that stands apart, especially with that team when I look at them, is the fact that their front four can get pressure. They can generate pressure with the guys up front. 
They don't have to blitz. And then the fact is, the, the, the overall scheme of that defense negates a lot of things offensively that you can do. And that's, that's what took away from the Kansas City Chiefs last year. You know, but even Patrick Mahomes trying to extend plays with his legs, you know, he threw one pass where he hit one of his guys in, in the face mask, and he dropped it. I mean, <laughs> you can't sit there and tell me that that was Brady's doing or, you know, that was, that, was a, the, that offense. But so, I, you know, when it comes down to it, I think that it is a championship caliber defense. And one thing I would definitely tip my hat for to, and unfortunately have to, is the fact that they were able to keep their entire team together. And uh, after winning a Super Bowl, I don't remember if that's ever been done before. You know what I mean? And so, you know, they, they, they had, they're coming back, and they're just as strong as ever. And, look, if they don't lose this week against the Rams, I have a hard time figuring out when they're going to drop one. They could very well go through the season unscathed. Wow, I got the schedule in front of you, and I had not considered that until you said it in a quick scan. I see what you're talking about. Yeah. Somebody will probably get him, but... Well, somebody probably will. But I mean, still, you know, But yeah. at the same point, Brady and the Patriots went uh, undefeated until they, what, faced the Giants in the Super Bowl? Yep, it could happen. All right, we'll leave it right there. Lincoln, we appreciate it. We will see you on the uh, Ute game on Saturday afternoon, and then we'll hear you on the Raider game after that. I certainly appreciate it. And in and, and the interim, tell your fans up there in Utah that I'm sorry they're not seeing anything other than Bucks games. it's the nfl come on you're seeing you got six games a week you can see before you even buy the ticket so yeah exactly (laughs) that's why the bucks keep ending up there in all these primetime games all right thanks a lot we appreciate it all right guys be well talk to you soon there's lincoln kennedy pac-12 network analyst and raider analyst and when we come back all the headlines what is trending coming up next 